The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Engaging conversation with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Chadville, it's hump day, 205 on this Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're having a great one. Maybe you've been braving the malls. Maybe you took off work early doing some Christmas shopping. I tried to scooch out this morning and get some done before I came into work. Have a lot of things to get done, and I know I'm not alone. I know that you have a lot of things to get done too. Some of you, lucky enough to have planned things much better, and probably have all of your Christmas shopping done, all of your decorations up. You name it, you're good to go. You're just counting down to the 25th, and then the rest of us will be scrambling in the malls for the next little while. Um, if you are thinking about what to get that special someone. I want to tell you about a special event we have coming up here on Friday on uh, 6.30 Ched, and it's going to start first thing in the morning. You know that 6.30 Ched Santa's Anonymous is um, a huge part of what happens uh, in this building, what happens in Edmonton at this time of year. Next Saturday, December 16th, is delivery day. If we need one more day, it'll be December 17th. And we're going to raise some more cash with your help for 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous. We have an auction taking place on Friday, and it'll start first thing in the morning with Bruce Bowie's show. Oh, by the way, Andrew's still in Vegas. Uh, he texted me today and said he won $140, so he was happy. Um, starting right at 7 o'clock with Bruce Bowie. So if you're thinking about, hmm, maybe I still want something special for that special somebody in your life, think about these, will ya? Um, from 7 till 8, Bruce will be auctioning off a weekend mountain getaway. That's four nights in a junior suite at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge, valid until April 30th of 2018, and then a two-day lift pass for four at Marmot Basin. So you can go out there, stay at the JPL, enjoy that beautiful location, and then go skiing. Um, from 8 till 9 on Friday with Bruce Bowie, there's a package. It's called the Arts, Culture, and Kepler package. Uh, it's an eight-person dinner and show at Jubilations Dinner Theater with special guest Kepler from our sister station, 92.5 Fresh Radio. That will take place on January 7th. Then you'll also get four tickets to A Christmas Carol at the Citadel. You'll get four tickets to the Edmonton Opera for a performance in February and four tickets to Burning Bluebeard presented by the Theater Network's Roxy Performance Series. So if you're wanting to look at, you you know, maybe some date nights, that might be just ideal for you. Now, Ryan will be back at work tomorrow, um, and on Friday morning, he's going to be auctioning off a, a really fantastic package from 10 to 11 o'clock. It's called the Foodie Package with Ryan Jesperson and his wife, Carrie Skeleton, who, by the way, will be on my show, this show, on uh, Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock. Um, it 
includes a delicious meal for eight created by the talented Brad Smoliak at Kitchen by Brad. The wine is provided by Color Divino and hosted by Ryan and Carrie. And then in the afternoon show, starting at 2 o'clock, lots of good ones for you right here on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Uh, love this. We'll get um, Dave Campbell in. Morley's uh, still on holidays. Dave Campbell will be in to tell you all about this, but the first one is going to be the Grey Cup Experience. Season tickets for the Eskimos for two. I know there's a lot of diehard Eskies fans out there. So season tickets for the Edmonton Eskimos for two. Two tickets to the 2018 Grey Cup and a Mike Riley autographed football. We'll do that between two and three. And then between three and four, an evening out with me and Andrew. Oh, yeah. You know, that's probably got uh, some fun, some laughs, maybe a tiny bit of trouble written all over it. Um, Andrew and Carol, me and Coach, six of your friends, you. So uh, this will be at Sorrentino's. Jalen and Andrew host a delicious dinner for six, courtesy of Sorrentino's. Yeah, so again, it'll be me and Coach, Andrew and Carol, and then your friends totaling six of you. We're looking forward to it again. So that's taking place on Friday. Looking forward to it. We're going to have some fun. All the money raised goes to 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. It is 2.10 right now. Some of your texts coming in. Fireball, fireball, fireball. Yes, you're right. And I asked him about fireball. And if you know what I'm talking about, Chadville, that Andrew's favorite Vegas slot machine is fireball. He says he's done with that now. He's moved on to something else. And... Um, yeah, City of Sin. That's right. City of Fun fun as well. Uh, Andrew's there. He'll be back on Monday. We've been talking about this on and off, and I'm still waiting for the text to come in because it comes in every afternoon around this time, and it's not here yet. And the text says, done your wills yet? Done your wills yet? And the next one usually asks if my dog is in studio. I have received that text every day on this show for two years. And no, my will is not done yet. Andrew's is done. Uh, We talked about that not too long ago. He did it online. Thanks to pressure from you, Chadville. But you know what I thought? Um... It was time for us to get an expert in, an expert, someone who deals with this on a regular basis to find out the ins and outs of a will and let you ask him the questions you need. So I'd like to welcome to the show right now, Andrew Kao. Thanks for having me. He's a lawyer with KBL Law who specializes in wills and estates. You do other things as well, but this is one of the things uh, that you do um, a lot of the time, isn't it? That's correct. Now, why wills wills and estates? Why did you get into that side of it all? You know what's really interesting is I did take wills in law school and didn't actually like the course that much. They seemed really esoteric. I didn't realize the practical benefits of it. And even when I articled at a firm, I didn't do any wills either. <laughs> so it was only until I went to KBL that I uh, learned from a lawyer who's now left our firm and retired, fortunately, good for him. Um, and then I just started to realize the day-to-day um, practical realities of why it's important to get a will. And 
the, the tremendous costs financially <laughs> otherwise that uh, are associated with not doing a will at all or doing one uh, incorrectly. Andrew, w- uh, getting into this, I'm sure you have some incredible stories. Um, I'm sure that you probably can't tell, but you've witnessed firsthand um, how important it is to have a will. I have. Interestingly, today, about a couple of hours before we arrived, um, I got a little scare from one of our assistants who was scanning all the wills into our computer because we're kind of going to trying to go paperless now. And she uh, mentioned that my oldest client ever, a, a 103-year-old lady who I helped three years ago, she, she couldn't find her will. Oh, my goodness. So I was concerned, but I went downstairs into our will safe. So we do have one of those that's fireproof. Um, and I managed to find it. So that was uh, crisis averted. But... I've, I've been fortunate to help lots of people, um, whether they're in good health or not, do the will. And one of the main issues of waiting too long until you either have an internal or external factor happen to get a will done is that, like what maybe we'll talk about after, people can challenge the will's validity. Yes. And it just becomes impossible to actually do a will because you physically can't hold a pen, which I've encountered before. You can't see anything, so you can't read. Uh. You lack capacity, so you don't even know what a will is or what your assets are. And so at that point in time, it becomes really challenging to find a lawyer who's willing to do the document or to even just do it yourself. So, Andrew, when should people start thinking about doing, getting a will, putting together a will? You mentioned earlier about Christmas gifts. Yeah. Uh, In my opinion, anyone over 18 should have a will. Really? Uh, The Wills Act, which is kind of the main legislation that governs wills and estates, um, does give some exceptions to that. So if if I... Um, if I'm correct in, in saying this, which I'm pretty sure I am, you can be under the age of 18 and do a will if you're either in the military or uh, if you have children. Mm-hmm. But usually it's anybody over 18 and, and okay. apart from those scenarios. So I say anybody over 18 because heaven forbid you were to pass away in a car accident, um, illness struck you, whatever the case is, although you're doing the will for yourself, you're really making it easier for those around you, whether you have kids or not, because there's going to be a cost involved let alone the stress, the grief, the delay of dealing with your affairs, and even the, some of the simplest tasks. Like, I had a client who had a very, very small estate, and they still made her go through, what we'll talk about after, a process called probate. Mm-hmm. And you might think that, well, I don't have a lot of assets, so I need to wait till I reach a certain you know, milestone in my life, whether it be uh, kids, marriage, secure job, a certain age, whatever the case may be. And then at that point in time, it comes too late to actually go ahead and do the document because injury strikes, um, capacity sets in, incapacity sets in, um, and it just becomes really, really challenging to sit down with someone and talk about their affairs when they don't even know what you're talking about. So my very generic first question that's on my piece of paper here that says the importance of a will. What is the importance of a will? Um, It's a very generic question, but I I suspect that we could talk 20 minutes on it. We could. Importance of a will, I would say, first off, um, as as lawyerly as it sounds, is is the money component. So if you don't have a will, regardless of your asset base, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to have to go through a process called probate. Mm-hmm. And probate is where if you do have a will and, and an outside organization, we'll talk about in a second, forces you to get this mm-hmm. process to validate the validity of your will, you've got to go and do that. And, and, and anyone who has gone through that, they, it, they, they, it, it sounds like six months of hell. To be honestly, what's interesting honest. is, you know, if you've got real estate involved, for example, anytime most people most people don't know this, let alone realtors, unfortunately, and some lawyers. But once you own a property in your own name, which many people do, even if they're married, that automatically means that you have to go through probate, hmm. whether you have a will or not. Oh, really? Whether your executor is 
um, your spouse for 40 years, whether the only beneficiary is your spouse for 40 years, you're automatically going to have to go through probate because if you were to pass away, unfortunately, your estate goes from yourself as the deceased into the name of your executor, and only once that happens can it go to the beneficiary. So if you're trying to sell real estate, Hmm. One of the common problems we have is a house really sh- technically shouldn't be listed until you have probate. And there's really no rhyme or reason as to how long it's going to take for the court system to surrogate. Well, it, it's called the surrogate court to actually get your probate done. Yeah, I was going to say, is there is there an average time you know, on that? You know, what's interesting is some people will ask me that. And there's times where I've seen it take two weeks. And that's kind of a miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> um, most of the time, though, you can expect anywhere from you know four to ten weeks, if not longer. Okay. So, so there's there's the financial component of saving the money of having to hire a lawyer potentially to go through the probate. Now, sometimes probate is going to be like a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to happen because you have a property in your own name, you have an individual bank account, and the bank just won't release the money to the executor, even if you have a will, because they want to cover their own tail in the event that they didn't give it to the right person. Okay. So you're doing the will to kind of make your family's life a lot easier. From a financial perspective, you're adding a lot of certainty. We'll talk about after as to who's going to control your affairs, who's going to get your property, who's going to take care of your kids, at what age do they get your kids, how are your remains going to be dealt with. You're adding certainty, (laughs) securing financial stability. Uh, you're making the process a lot faster yeah. versus not having a will, and then you're eliminating a lot of the stress and grief and mourning that's already going on and pretty intense it's when somebody's passed away. Yeah, Andrew Ko joining us in studio this afternoon. He is a lawyer at KBL Law who uh, specializes in wills and estates. Uh, got him in here because you know what, Chadville, we've been talking about wills for a long time. If you have a question for Andrew, you can text it in at six thirty six thirty. Maybe we'll open the phone lines uh, coming up uh, at four nine six zero zero six three in just a few few moments. Why do people put off doing a will? Is it because it seems morbid or is it because it doesn't seem like a happy, fun task? Or is it just because we don't want to think about it? What do you hear most? I think the three examples you just gave yeah. are kind of the main ones. Um, for a lot of people, they don't want to face the mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of people, they don't think that it's necessary because, let's say, for example, they don't have a spouse or kids. And they just believe that, well, let's just have the government take it all. That's actually not like not how it works. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about that in a second, about <laughs> what happens if you don't have a will. Um, for a lot of people, it's finding the time, especially if they have kids. So I've tried to circumvent that latest point by being mobile. Okay, so you go to them. So, so what normally happens, and it helps people out, is people will contact me, whether it be through my Facebook page or call or whatever the case is, walk in. I'll give them four or five standard questions that are kind of the main components of a will. Then they'll give me the answers. I'll respond to them with an email that'll kind of summarize all that they, they need to consider themselves. And then we kind of have, you know, a little follow up two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, and then we see what happens. Okay. So it might be better just to have them in and do it right there and then. But for a lot of people, the questions that I'm asking them are things they never contemplated before. What happens if my kids and my spouse all die at the same time yeah. as me? Yeah, Nobody yeah. wants to think about that. Yeah. I called yesterday a lady who was just herself and her two, her two children, her two adult kids. And I asked her, you know, what do you want to do in the event that your children and grandchildren pass away before you? And she didn't want to contemplate that. 
But the consequence of not asking that is that one, it's negligent of me to do so, mm-hmm. and two, you end up having certain people who you don't want to get your property end up getting it. So much to talk about here. We'll take a break at two twenty again. The text line is six thirty six thirty. The phone number is four nine six zero zero six three. I think I've managed to talk Andrew to stick around with us to three o'clock. So lots of time to to explore what is going on here because I have a list of questions uh, for you as well. So quick break. More talking wills right after this. Uh, 224 in the 630 Chet Afternoon News. We're talking with uh, Andrew Kao, who is a, a lawyer with C- KBL Law, specializing in wills and estates, and we wanted to get him in because, as you know, it's a big topic on this show. Um, should uh, spouses, a husband, a wife, uh, partners, have a joint will or separate wills? Can you have a joint? Is it a husband and wife thing? or when is it? do the wills, we, we call them mere wills. So they, they're essentially reflective on themselves. When I send that questionnaire that I mentioned earlier yes. to people, I always recommend that you have the exact same executors because some people, when I send them the email, they don't understand, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But they'll have each other first, but then they'll pick their respective siblings after as their alternate in the event that they were to both pass away at the same time. Yeah. The problem with that is that you end up having two people doing the same job. So you should have the same executors. But in terms of um, the term joint wills is, is actually a technical term in that some people, and it's very rare we don't do it, will in fact, particularly if they have like a second marriage, they'll get a joint will, which is one single document that's verbatim the same, which ultimately results in um, the people signing a contract that prevents them from getting out of that will. Because if, if a spouse has the same will as their partner, like how we do, mm-hmm. and one of the spouses passes away, the other one could technically go and change her will, his or her will, and do it automatically, whereas this true joint will is essentially meant to be a contract where you can't do that. Yeah. So, so they aren't really joint wills, they're 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 mere wills. Okay. Will. Lots of different things to think about. You know, what if, you know, if, if my husband and I have a will, what if, um, you know, we both die at the same time? What if I, I die before him? All of that sort of stuff. Um, is our online wills a, a good thing? Um, I understand. No. People I mean, are, that's tough for you because, I mean, yeah, you're in the business, so I know tough. it's kind of a... So from a non, from an objective perspective, which is maybe biased, uh-huh. um, we don't, let's, let's put it this way, we don't charge a lot for wills. Okay. Um, probably most lawyers, I would say, for a will would maybe charge for one person $300, okay. right? If you actually take in the amount of hours that's involved in that, let's say my hourly rate is $300, give or take, let's say, for example... I'm putting in six or seven hours yeah. at, at minimum, plus the actual liabilities attached with it, plus all the education and so on. But doing an online will, the problem is you're not going to get all of the right questions asked about your family history, about the different assets that you have, giving you all the alternate scenarios. Many people who will do wills themselves, whether it's online or on a piece of paper, they just won't consider practical things. And I'll give you an example. We'll go into the next question. but. I believe I think we had a client who you know wanted to do a great thing, which is give five thousand dollars to all of his grandchildren. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that you set it up for, in his case, where I think he had he unfortunately passed away, uh, ended up doing the will himself, and he had children who were only maybe twenty five or thirty years old. They could keep having grandkids forever for another 30, 40 years. So how do you, practically speaking, as an executor, administer that? Mm. Do you hold on to money until they can no longer have kids, right? Or do you just put? Can you just put the names? Like specific well, names down. That's what you could do, but he wanted to give it to, to his um his grand five thousand dollars to any grandchild. Any grandchild. Oh my gosh. Okay. And so that's unfortunately, but we're not going to get technical. But that's against what's called the rule against perpetuities. 
which mm. basically, in a nutshell, means you have to know with a, within a certain period of time as to when your gift is going to vest into somebody. And so the problem with having these little deficiencies in the wills is if they're incorrect and the court won't accept okay. it, then you've got to go and hire a lawyer to anyway. go and rectify the will. So then you're back to square one when you try to save a couple hundred dollars. All right. You know what? Arlene's been holding on the phone for quite some time, but I need to take a break for the 2.30 news. So Arlene, hold on because I know I think her dad just passed away and she has a couple of questions. Um, can someone challenge your will? They can uh, on a variety of bases. Bases, forgive me. Doing the online will or doing a will yourself might result in actually having some of the formalities of a will not being followed. And by that, I mean having two witnesses having what's called an affidavit of execution. So that basic rudimentary stuff that you may not get from an online or, or, a, or a wills kit at a, at a registry, for example. So you've got the inca- so you've got that. You've got what's called incapacity. Yeah. So somebody, so if you do a will yourself and you don't have a lawyer involved, people can more easily challenge whether or not okay. that person knew what they were doing, challenge on the basis of coercion, undue influence, all these different things. Whereas if I do it or a lawyer does it, we take notes of these things. Yeah. We ensure that there's nothing, nothing happening. And then therefore we've kind of curtailed some of that ability for an outside party to challenge. It was interesting because Andrew said, even though that he had did had done the lawyer or done the online thing by himself, he's still probably going to take it to a lawyer to get it double checked and, and see that it was okay. 2.30 on the 6.30 chat afternoon news. Arlene, hold the line. We'll get to your question uh, coming right up. Lots of great, great questions coming in at 6.30, 6.30, including one about uh, Will before and after a divorce. Very interesting. Stick around more with Andrew Kao after this. Who would- Talking wills this afternoon with Andrew Kao with KBL Law. You can find him on Twitter at that lawyer guy. Arlene has been very, very patient this afternoon. Hi, Arlene. Hi, Arlene. Good afternoon. Hi. What's your question um, for Andrew? Um, my dad um, just passed away in August, and he had been remarried about 32 years. And I'm the executor. About a year and a half ago, we, me and her son are executors. They both have separate wills. They're basically the same, but separate. And um, so he passed away. Now, I don't know. It seems kind of awkward for me to say, what do I do now? Did my dad leave me anything? You know what I mean? It's kind of awkward. To, I, Does I'm kind of waiting for her to, uh, what, like, whose who's chess play is it now? So she's you know still alive. Your dad's dot. Your dad's passed away. Sorry about that. Yeah. And she's yeah. still alive. Yeah. And you're waiting to see if anything was in the will coming to you. Yeah, I don't know what happens now. Hi, Arlene. Like it's been about three months. Arlene, have you ever seen a copy of the will itself yet? Yeah, I have. He he left like they're both the same. He left to her three kids and me, and okay. and she left to, for her three kids and me. So they're basically the same, but I'm not sure. And did you say that like you were, did you say, Arlene, that you were an executor as well? Yes, only if she dies, apparently. Uh, I see. Yeah. Okay. But is it not written right there in the will what you should be receiving? Not really, no. D- does so it I'm s- not sure. You so, know, Ar- Arlene, does it, seems- it say at all what who the beneficiaries are? Forgive me, I, did, I didn't hear the first part of your, your call. Yeah, it does. Um, me and uh, three of her kids. Okay, and and you share so, equal. You have equal shares. Yes. Okay, so ultimately, the executor is obligated to kind of deal with all the debts. Uh, taxes and so on, kind of as conveniently as possible after someone passes away. So that would have to get dealt with first, and then once that's taken place, they're obligated to kind of 
in the user discretion to be as financially prudent as possible and liquidate the assets, you know, uh, according to the will, which in this case is four ways. So I'm not sure all the different types of assets he has, but anything that did form yeah. part of his estate, that would have to be divided equally. And you, th- there are court measures if for some reason there's uh, a lack of... Um, initiative taken by an executor because I one time had to deal with an executor who didn't really do anything for multiple years and then we made a court application and ultimately got him removed and then we're able to kind of move along with the with the estate so is it worth talking to a lawyer at this point if you're wondering about a, a delay on the liquidation of assets I think it is well she there there's two properties that, that have been sold already okay and um, but I'm not sure um, does like so he passed away first so does she get everything? automatically and then and Arlene sorry but who are you referring to when you say she forgive me I, d- I didn't hear the his wife his yeah, wife his oh wife. okay yeah and we get along it's no no problem it just it's just awkward to ask, you know? Yeah, no, you, you definitely, as a beneficiary, have every right um, to know what's going on, especially if you've named, if, you, if you're named as an equal share. So I would definitely say uh, it's not too premature to consult a lawyer. Many of us will kind of give you like an, like an initial consultation for free, and then you can kind yeah. of take some of that uh, information and then uh, be informed and then make the appropriate inquiries with uh, the, exec- the, the person okay. who's causing okay. you problems. I, yeah, I will give you a call. Thank you. Sounds good, Arlene. Thanks, Arlene. Yeah, instead of You're sitting well. and waiting, I guess it's just the whole, like, you ask some questions yeah. and find out Doesn't what's going on. Yeah. Some of the uh, texts uh, coming in um, are holograph wills valid in Alberta? Yep, holograph wills are, are wills that you essentially uh, do yourself, and there's not really anybody witnessing it, and it's kind of in handwriting. The most famous example of a holograph will was actually years ago where I believe a gentleman in, in uh, Saskatchewan was, was in his tractor and he fell over mm. and he, he, hurt, he injured himself, used his blood to write down on a rock, oh the wife gosh. gets everything. Oh my gosh, and wow. And I think that's actually at the U of A, uh, the U Saskatchewan Law School. So you can have a holograph will. They are valid. The problem with a holograph will is that they're going to be more highly scrutinized. Okay. Um, you're very likely going to have to go through probate and... Just like doing an online will or a will kit, all the considerations that you know a well-trained lawyer is going to do probably aren't going to be in there okay. at all. Andrew, um, this is from Drew. I, I have a will in place from prior to my divorce. Is it still valid? If so, how do I nullify it? Um, usually, I mean, the best way is by getting a new will. <laughs> That's kind of the first clause in a will is always I, I revoke any previous wills. Okay. Um, the Wills Act changed in 2012. And my recollection of, it, of of one of a certain clause relating to divorces is that uh, once a divorce has happened, it's your will is treated as if though that individual predeceased you. Okay. So whatever you have afterward is is, is the best way uh, is is, is going to happen. But I'd recommend getting a brand new will just to nullify, pardon the pun, any issues whatsoever. I always recommend my clients who are in the midst of doing a divorce to get a will done. Because heaven forbid something happens when they're negotiating everything, mm-hmm. they can at least say in the will who they want to have manage their property and get it. The only issue is that is that just because you've passed away doesn't mean that, and, and you have a will that says you're, you're giving everything to a new person, doesn't mean that your spouse, who you're not yet divorced with, isn't entitled to anything. But it is best to, you know, this way you aren't having your, your divorced or soon-to-be-divorced spouse being your executor and automatically being the sole beneficiary of all of your estate. Okay. So, Andrew, can a parent disinherit a child in Alberta? You have no obligation um, to for, leave anything to anybody, do you? With ex- with certain exceptions. Okay. So, if you have a child who's zero to eighteen, 
They technically need to be left adequate provision. Yes. What that means is dependent upon a number of factors. You don't necessarily have to give anybody anything in your will, but if they are that certain age age uh, range, if you will, you have to consider their needs in other ways. So maybe you get them a life insurance policy. Maybe you leave them RSPs. Maybe you leave them certain assets versus something that forms part of your estate. But zero to eighteen, definitely. We always talk about kids, and most people give their kids equal shares. Mm-hmm. When you're eighteen to twenty-two as a child of someone and you are in full-time or kind of part-time schooling or things like that, um, the Wills Act talks about leaving them adequate provision as well. And then if you have any child who's, who's deemed to be a dependent of, okay. of you as well. And um, so that can be someone who's, you can be 90 years old yourself and have a 60-year-old dependent, right? So these, again, are questions that aren't going to kind of be usually considered in non-lawyer settings. But if you have a child um, that is not dependent on you, Mm -hmm. let's say 18 plus is an adult out doing their thing, but you don't want to leave them anything, you don't have to leave them anything. Nope, if you're, and that's another thing that's really important too, we, um, as long as they don't fit into any of those kind of three scenarios, maybe a couple other exceptions, you don't have to give a single dollar to anyone. Uh, If you're estranged from them, what we typically do is we actually include a line towards the end of the will that says, I specifically not left anything to Sonny Boy because, you know, we're estranged yeah. or he's financially well, able to take care of himself or something like that. Just so that it that we've kind of indicated okay. your intent. And then, as you mentioned earlier, we aren't leaving it open to a challenge. Now, people can challenge a will for any reason, especially if they didn't yeah. get anything, but at least you've shown some intent okay. in the will. And this one from Drayton Valley says, if I have a will drawn up and pass away, how would the law firm know or find out if I've passed away? Um, we, as a practice, give copies. Well, we give the original will now. Some firms keep the original will. We now give copies okay. and the original to the client. So we, we kind of mandate them to give it to their executors. <laughs> it sounds bad, but we've actually been managed to use kind of obituaries, just kind of daily okay. scrolling through them when we see people. But typically, we get notified by the executor. Okay. So you should be leaving copies as a practice to your uh, well, to all three of your executors, if you have three, and then they'll, they'll reach out to us and we'll deal with it accordingly. How do you choose uh, an executor? What should you be thinking about when you choose an executor? Yeah. Um, anybody over 18 you know, can, can lawfully be an executor. Uh-huh. Typically, spouses choose themselves. Um, first, some people don't name their spouse because the, that spouse just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. They, they couldn't deal with the grief. Maybe they aren't financially kind of fiscal or just don't really know a lot about real estate or things like that. But really, anybody over 18 can do the job. Somebody who you trust, somebody who's agreed to do the job, ideally someone who's local. I was going to say in the same province, in the same, in the same city. Helpful, just logistically, <laughs> yeah. but I, I have helped clients before who have people from other provinces. Um some people don't have anybody here local who they want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I used to jokingly say, well, as long as they are from Zimbabwe, it's okay. But then I one time had a client who her only executor was in Zimbabwe oh, wow. because she had nobody okay. here. So we just include special wording in there and we have to prepare the client for the practical reality that the executor may need to take monies from the estate, which they're entitled to do, to pay for themselves to travel to come see us if need be to sign documents. This is very important and we wanted to talk about this. Elaine says, should a personal directive be done at the same time as a will? And I think the answer is yes, but maybe we should explain what a personal directive is. So there's kind of three documents that are relevant when we're doing what's called a wills package. So you've got your will itself, which is going to deal with your finances and your estate distribution if and when you pass away, talk about guardians, things like that. Then you've got what's called a power of attorney. And a power of attorney doesn't mean strong lawyer. It doesn't actually even involve a lawyer Mm -hmm. per se, apart from the fact that I'm doing it for you. So in a power of attorney, you're naming an individual called an attorney who is an authorized representative who can deal with your finances and your property for you while you're alive, but you're incapacitated. 
Um, you can also make the document effective immediately if you feel like it. So let's say, for example, you're already on the cusp of incapacity. Whether it be physically, you can't get around anymore. Mm -hmm. Mentally, you're early on stage dementia or Alzheimer's. You can make it effective if you want to. Or let's say you travel a lot and your spouse has to deal with things here for you. Maybe you make it effective that way. So without having a power of attorney in place, if you became incapacitated, someone would have to go and make a very expensive and lengthy process called a court application to become your guardian mm, or trustee. Okay. You can't sell real estate. You really can't deal with income tax, refinancing a property, maybe even signing something like mm -hmm. a school, school consent form for mm -hmm. your child dealing with a car loan, basic things like that. So that's the power of attorney. Final piece of the puzzle is what's called a personal directive. This is, this is only if you're incapacitated, and this is where you're naming someone who's called your agent to make a determinate well, to, to make the decisions for you on your day-to-day -day, you know decisions mm -hmm. in a personal capacity and also your healthcare decisions so are you going to be kept alive for the sake of being alive are Is we there a DNR apply? that Things sort of like thing that. so yeah. you're taking the power out of the hospitals nurses government social workers etc and you're putting it we into make, your agent yeah to make making your own you. decision too yeah. beforehand which is which because is a good the one. hospitals you know and social workers may kind of pay lip service to your spouse they may not pay as much lip service to your your, your, your children or extended family but they but they don't have to at all. So you're doing this to kind of circumvent that risk of them not fulfilling your wishes. So yes, it was. Uh, I think it was Elaine. So yes, when you're doing your yes. will, do your power do, of do attorney and your and your um and your um personal directive. And again, you're doing them now while you have capacity. So it doesn't become difficult to do after. People don't challenge it. All yeah. the reasons we talked about earlier. All right. Very good. Andrew, hold on a second. We'll take another break here. Richard from Calling Lake. Your phone calls up next. More questions on the text line as well. Here. It's uh, 2.51. Andrew K.O. joining us uh, in studio this afternoon answering your questions about wills. We're running out of time. I might have to keep you over through the top uh, for just a little bit. Um, we got some great guests next hour as well. Richard from Calling Lake's been on hold. Hi, Richard. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Richard. Hey, Andrew. Uh, just a quick question. Is there a loophole, legal loophole in, in you know, will law? If a direct family member is left out, is there anything they can do saying, look, I'm entitled and I was left out and I deserve to be in that will? Is there any recourse that someone with that type of outlook has? Thanks for your question. It, it's, for, it's certainly kind of fact-specific. Um, if you had any, you know, external evidence that you were supposed to be left a certain item, that may be useful. But when I do the wills, we kind of go over anybody who might possibly get uh, or be entitled to something. And we mentioned just in the previous segment that if, you, if you're if you an adult child, um, there really isn't any lawful entitlement to you unless you're mentally or physically dependent upon your parents. So it is going to be a little bit of an uphill battle. That doesn't mean that I don't get a couple calls a year or, or letters from people, you know, challenging wills. Mm -hmm. um, but on the face of it, there's not really any loophole per se, but sometimes... Uh, in all in all facets of life, people will pay people off just to get out of the way. But on the face of it, no, it, the answer is kind of no, unless you are dependent. Is it worthwhile, Andrew and Richard? Would it be would it be worthwhile if someone then you know, as you're growing up, someone says, you know, this is yours when you get older, and you really love it, and that's expected. Maybe get them to get it in writing. <laughs> I know yeah. that sounds odd, yeah. but um, I'm just throwing it out there. With the new Will, Wills Act revisions a couple of years ago, people, well, external evidence was kind of, became something that you could use to kind of make an argument as to what was supposed to be included in the will and the validity of the will and the intent of the executor, which is kind of the main thing. Um, you can certainly bring something in, but if they haven't included in the will and they weren't, uh, Richard, under, again, uh, lacked capacity, 
undue influence by by a party coercion or some kind of threats going on or duress, it's going to be really really hard to challenge that because uh, as long as they have the capacity to know what they're doing, um, there's really no obligation for them to give it to them. Unfortunately, hey, what, whether they, whether they forgot or not. Right. I'm in my early 50s, so i got 75 more years to go. When my day comes, I'm going to just give it to charity. <laughs> Good on you, Richard. And thanks for the call, Richard. Always great to hear from you. We have, we're have, we running out of time here, but a couple of quick uh, questions. What do you have real estates in the United States, uh, real assets in the U.S.? Yeah, we've had clients who uh, have assets kind of worldwide. Mm-hmm. Our will, the, the, the wills that we do talk about how it kind of covers wills no matter where you have, like, lo- sorry, property no matter where located in the mm-hmm. world. We always recommend our clients though to consult with lawyers as well as accountants and any other re- relevant professional advisors to tell us whether or not that person needs to get a separate will for their, let's call it U.S. assets, mm-hmm. or if they want specific wording that needs to be in our will to ensure that there aren't any tax hits or legal implications. But we can certainly do it. It's just a matter of getting that third-party advice because we can't be held responsible for, you know, um, other other provinces' uh, property, let alone kind of international. I've got a whole bunch more questions for you. Can you stick around for a few more minutes over uh, the top of the 3 o'clock hour, maybe till 3.15, and I'll just uh, shuffle my guests because I've got two great guests coming up after 3 o'clock as well. But I want to get to these questions because I think they're really important as well. Andrew K.O., why do I keep... S- your name, last name is so easy to say. You'd be surprised the number of people who pronounce it uh, incorrectly. And I, I usually judge people based upon it. So oh, much, great, so. great. That <laughs> makes me feel better. You said better. it right the first time. So I know. Oh, and I've kind of messed it up every time. Andrew Ko joining us from KBL Law Talking Wills will continue after the 6:30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross weekdays at two on 6:30 Chad.